Would this describe you today? I wonder how many listening to me right now have prayed to God and said, you know, I just feel stuck. I'm stuck. And that so often is viewed as very negative. I'm stuck. I'm not making any progress. I don't see any, you know, the world. I should be here by then. I was expecting to be at this place in my life, at this age in my life, and here I am and I'm stuck. Well, I'm here today to remind you that being stuck isn't necessarily a bad place to be where you don't have anywhere to go. You're looking to the left and you're looking to the right and you're looking up ahead. You might even peek over your shoulder, but God has brought you to a place so that you might look up. God is about to work. His hands are all over it, follower of God. His hands are all over your life. This is amazing grace. Fearful and anxious. Now, that would describe many in our world, and maybe even yourself. It's often in those times that we feel stuck and like there's no way out. That's the place the people of Israel were in in Exodus chapter 14. And we'll hear God's word to them and us in our situation. I think you'll find this all very encouraging, so stay close by as we bring you Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. Today's teaching on trials is based on Hebrews chapter 11. Find your place there now as we begin. You take your Bibles and open them, please, to Hebrews chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 14. Hebrews chapter 11, Exodus chapter 14, in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Israel Faced the Deep Trial. You know, this section has been focused on Moses, but there's a transition from Moses to the children of Israel in this verse, verse 29. We've been looking at the faithfulness of Moses, the faith surrounding Moses, but now Moses, a few years have passed, and now Moses is going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, delivered from slavery. Notice with me in verse 29 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. This represents a major trial in the nation of Israel, a difficult time collectively. Even now as we as a church family are all facing like the same trial at the same time. Now there are individual issues in the room and there are family issues in the room and there are situational issues in the room, but we're in a generation in an era where right now we're all facing the same trial. And there are different responses to the trial. Just like when there's a trial in your home, different people respond differently. And we should expect there'll be differences among us. We should expect that different people will respond in different ways. However, let's not neglect to see that there's great division in the body of Christ today. And that doesn't please the Lord. Division is not from the Lord. Now, of course, he speaks of us separating from false teaching and false teachers for sure. But he also warns us of division. And division usually shows up in times of great trial and stress and anxiety. 
No, the Bible instructs us that we're not to fight each other, but rather we're to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That we already have a unity when we're together in the Lord. And trials have a way of revealing things in us. They don't create things in us. We kind of think, well, you know, if I never went through the trial, I would have never acted that way. Actually, the trial just gave you opportunity to respond in a way to show you what was already in you. And it revealed something to present to the Lord, not unlike the children of Israel here, as they go through the trial together. Now listen, church, it would be easy for me, week after week, to teach on the topic of trials and troubles and difficulties, because we all have them. We have them collectively and we have them individually. And we shouldn't be surprised that difficulties arise. We shouldn't be surprised that big time difficulties arise in our lives because Jesus said that in this world, John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have tribulations, he said. Expect it. But he said, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world, that there's a better day coming. Peter would tell young Timothy, he'd say, look, even the desire to live godly will bring with it opposition and difficulty. That desire to live godly will bring persecution, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. You can count on it. This is a theme throughout the scriptures, the faithfulness of God as seen in the trials and testings of man. Jesus taught about it in Matthew chapter 7. Remember, there were those two guys that built houses, and one of the things we see that they shared, they were on different foundations, but one of the things they shared One of the things they had together was the storms beat upon both of their houses. Storms come to us all. We face them all the time. And that would be a mistake to expect that you as a believer would skip out on trials. Now I know as we go through the topic of trials, there will be some as I'm teaching begin to respond defensively because, well, because the weight of the pain in your life is so heavy that God is ready to bring healing into your life, but you have a natural defense mechanism. Sometimes it is expressed this way. As I'm teaching through a section of the Bible, especially on trials, there's this defensiveness that comes up and says, well, you know what, pastor? I don't know what kind of authority you have to speak to trials in my life. You don't know what I'm going through. If you knew what I was going through, then you would have delivered it this way or you would have handled it that way. And you, you're in that place of not wanting to receive or maybe even meeting in a place so filled with pain and sorrow that you're just not ready to receive words of encouragement or words of deliverance right now. But that would too would be a mistake because the issues in your life are not between you and me. It's not about you and me. It's easy to do that. It's not about you and the messenger. You know, you've got the messenger. It's not about you and me. Anytime we gather together in a, in a time like this, we present ourselves to the teaching of the Word of God. We want to worship in song together, take communion. Anytime that happens, it's not about you and me. It's about you and God. And you might say, well, if you understood If you just understood, if you had more empathy, you would have done this and you would have said that. I think over the years, God has increased my empathy. I think that if I sat down with you in the conference room and you shared with me what was going on in your life, I think my empathy with you would grow because now I know a little bit more about you and I know a little bit more about your unique situation. 
but I'll never fully understand what you're going through. You'll never fully understand the things that I've gone through or that I'm going through. And it would be unreasonable for us to expect that from one another. But instead, what we can expect from one another is to take each other to the Lord and to his truth. Like, you're right, I don't fully understand you, but God understands you. And you're right, I fully don't know what's happening in your life, but God knows. And you would be right, I don't see everything that you're going through. I don't feel everything you're going through, but God sees and he knows. Remember, we learn in Hebrews that we have a high priest that can relate with us. He's on our level. God in human flesh has faced all the trials and temptations that you have faced, except without sin. And he can empathize with you. I think as we learn how to cast our cares upon the Lord, you know what you'll learn? That he cares for you. And he does. Everything we're reading of in the Old Testament, all these testimonies of faith, are for us to learn from. And we notice that it's by faith that they pass through the Red Sea. But the Red Sea was a time of great trial. You could say it was one of the first great trials of this new nation being formed. Seventy people years earlier enter into Egypt asking for grain. Just the, the family, Joseph's family shows up asking for grain, asking for food. And those 70 people... God reveals Joseph. God reveals his purposes and his will. They've now grown to about two and a half million. And by this time, they are slaves making bricks all day to build the cities of Egypt. And God sends a deliverer. Come back now to Exodus chapter 13 as we catch up where they are and what's being described here by faith. I love this because God is ready to work in your life as well. And he's ready to meet you in the crisis that you're in right now. Every crisis is met by the faithfulness of God. Let's start in chapter 13 of Exodus, verse 17, to gain the context of everything that's going on. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, this is the nation of Israel, two and a half million people, and God did, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind and they see war and return to Egypt. And mark these words, verse 18. Very important to understand where we're at. So God led the people. Everything you're about to read is out of the leading of God. Everything that children of Israel are facing in this moment are be, is because of their obedience. God is leading. He's in the front. They're following him. So he leads them around the way by the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. They have been delivered from slavery at this point. This is the beginning of great things. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here with you. Now what was prophesied by Joseph is happening. They're leaving, and they're taking the bones of Joseph with them. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped at Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses. This is the leader, the deliverer saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-ha-haroth, 
between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, and the wilderness has closed them in. Then I'll harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready, verse 6, his chariot, and took his people with him. Also he took 600 choice chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them by camping by the sea beside Pi-Haharath and by Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. God's hands are all over this activity. He's leading before and behind. He is in the midst of his people. And he leads them out of Egypt, not the shortest distance, because he doesn't want them to see war. He doesn't want them to see the violence of the land and automatically strike fear. Instead, he takes them in a circuitous route that would prevent them from seeing all these things so that they would be in a place where they would trust him. And what he does is he leads them right up to the Red Sea which is a place that could be viewed as being trapped with no way out. You could say that they're in a place where they're stuck. They can't go forward, the Red Sea's before them. They can't go to the left or to the right because on either side of them are small mountains that, you know, two and a half million people running, the Egyptians will surely catch up to them. And then if they look backwards to retreat, they've got the Egyptian army. Now think of this for a second. The, the people, the children of the nation of Israel, they're not armed military people. They're moms and dads and kids like you and me. Now there might be some trained leaders and men among them, women that could fight a battle, but for the most part, they're just people like you and me. They're not trained for war. They're just living life. And God's taking them from one existence of life, from slavery, to a time of freedom and trust in the Lord. And in order to do that, there is a, there, there is a pause in their life. And the pause in their life is in this place at the Red Sea, the impossible. God takes them to the impossible. And I realize that some of you are in that place today. God is taking you to the impossible. And there you are. Which way to go? I can't go forward. I can't go either to the left or to the right. I certainly can't go backwards, and I'm stuck. And I wonder how many listening to me right now have prayed to God and said, you know, I just feel stuck. I'm stuck. And that so often is viewed as very negative. I'm stuck. I'm not making any progress. I don't see any, you know, the world. I should be here by then. I was expecting to be at this place in my life, at this age in my life, and here I am, and I'm stuck. Well, I'm here today to remind you that being stuck isn't necessarily a bad place to be. Where you don't have anywhere to go. You're looking to the left and you're looking to the right and you're looking up ahead. You might even peek over your shoulder. But God has brought you to a place so that you might look up. God is about to work. His hands are all over it. 
follower of God. His hands are all over your life. His providential sovereignty is in the midst of your life today, in the fear, in the anxiety. Notice what happens to them here in verse 10. It says, as they look at their situation, they're very afraid. Do you see that? They're very afraid. That's a normal response. It's not necessarily the best response, but that's a normal response. The idea of being afraid is not a bad thing. God has given us the emotion of fear. God uses fear in our life. That, like a healthy dose of fear will keep us away from danger. And it's not that fear is bad. It's an emotion that I'd get. But here they're in a place of very afraid. You know what we might call that today? Panic. They're panicking. And you know as well as I do, nothing good comes out of panic. You begin to take things into your own hands. You begin to, maybe panic isn't the way you describe it. Maybe the way to describe it is you're freaking out right now because you're stuck. You're freaking out right now because you're stuck. You're very afraid. And then it says, well, look at, they cried out to the Lord. Now, if we just had this one verse, I could see how you could conclude that this is a good thing. This is not a good thing. They're not crying out to the Lord with their eyes closed and their heads bowed and their hands folded. Oh God, we are in big trouble, right? Say it, everybody. We are in big trouble. No, they are freaking out and complaining and murmuring about their situation. They are in a moment right now because of their circumstances that they have forgotten the goodness of God. And you said, how can you come to that conclusion? Read on. Verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? To which Moses could say, no. Then the next question, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Now that's a great question to ask. They're not asking it in a nice way, but let's answer it for them. Why did you take us out of Egypt? Here's the answer. Because you wanted to go out of Egypt. Because every day you cried out to God for a deliverer. Every day you wanted to be delivered. You wanted to leave Egypt. You wanted the promised land. You wanted the promises of Abraham. You wanted the promises of Isaac. You wanted the promise. You wanted all that God had for you. Why did you take me out of Egypt? Because God is giving you everything you've ever wanted. But they're stuck. And they're freaking out. Verse 12. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Really? Just leave us here? We'll just be slaves? Like, what are they thinking? Let me, let me just say, they are speaking dumb here. If you like to write in your margins there, you can just like, they are speaking dumb. And don't you think for a moment that in times of difficulty, dumb things don't come out of your mouth. Because here they are. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians then we should die in the wilderness. That's just a lie. They're believing a lie here. They're not just speaking dumb. They're believing a lie. It would not have been better for you to be stuck in your sins and your trespasses. It would not be better to die in the wilderness. It would be better. You are the safest place that for you and me on the planet earth is to be in the center of God's will. Even when and especially when you're stuck. And you feel like there's no way out. God is at work. God is at work in your life. And notice here what happens. They're upset, and they take it out on the people that are closest to them. In this case, they take it out on Moses, who came back in obedience to God. He came back as the deliverer, empowered by God to lead the children of Israel, standing before Pharaoh. You guys that are Bible students, you know Moses didn't even want to do this. 
He didn't even think he could do this. And yet God said, no, you will do this. So he's here out of obedience. They're following him out of obedience. God leads them to a place where they're stuck and they're trapped and they're boxed in a corner and there's no way out except to look up and trust God. And notice the answer from Moses in verse 13. And by the way, before we get to the answer, can you just, when I ask you to pray for your pastors, for their wives, for their kids, please do. Because we take the brunt of the murmuring and complaining in the church. We take the brunt of the attack on the church from the world. We take the brunt on the attack of the the culture on the church. And we also take the brunt of believers, instead of trusting God, choosing to murmur and complain about difficult situations in their lives. And so pray for your pastors. Because Moses, this is the beginning of 40 years of this for him. (laughs) This is just the beginning, Mo. It gets worse. This is the way it is in his life. This is God's call upon his life. And he embraced it. He wasn't always perfect with it, but he embraced it. But the pastors, the leaders of your church, their wives, their kids, they are, we're on the front lines. We, we take the full brunt of this. And it's just best for you not to murmur and complain. And I challenge anyone to search through the scriptures. Go ahead and email me, text me, whatever you want to do. Show me in the Bible where God gives you permission to sinfully murmur and complain just because you don't like something. Oh, there was no laughter on that one. There isn't anywhere. I know that we have a tendency to express our emotions that way, but really, what does complaining get you? Where is it taking you? You see, God is at work in your life, and he wants to send you, he wants to use you to send Egypt a message. He wants Egypt to know about his power and his glory and his faithfulness. He wants today, the culture in which we live, he wants the, the church to be represent, this, as Jesus said, the salt and the light. He wants us to represent all that comes through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. He wants the world to understand his power. He wants the world to understand his forgiveness. He wants Egypt, the culture today, to understand him. And he's chosen to do it through the vehicle of you and me, his church. And how careful we need to be not to be all freaking out over things that are outside of our control. Sure, we might be stuck, but God will be with us. And notice what his answer is in verse 13. So Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Number one, you're very afraid, don't be afraid. Number two, stand still. Just stop it. Stop running all over the place. Stop trying to get things in your own hands. Stop it. Just stand still. And then you'll see, get your eyes back, you'll see the salvation of the Lord. You'll see it. Because he'll accomplish it for you, it says, today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see never again, no more. And notice verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now that phrase, you shall hold your peace, let me paraphrase that for you. Be quiet. That's what Moses says. Hey, don't be afraid. Stand still. You're going to see God's work, his salvation. He's going to accomplish it. The Egyptians you're afraid of right now, you'll never see again. God's going to fight for you. God has placed himself between you and your enemies. What a good word there for us. And maybe just what you needed to hear as you're stuck, afraid, and panicking. We're going through Hebrews one verse at a time here on Abounding Grace. 
Pastor Ed Taylor is our teacher on the program, and you can hear these studies online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. Check out Ed's blog at EdTaylor.org. We also have a podcast. Look for us on Apple Podcasts. And thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to the ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, you're invited to request a copy of A.W. Tozer's devotional masterpiece, The Pursuit of God. In it, Tozer seeks to make his readers thirsty for intimacy with the Lord, and it will leave you inspired to seek God more passionately and intimately. You can start your pursuit today by calling 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you'd just like to make a donation to the ministry and are not interested in the book, you can donate safely and securely at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. We look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In the meantime, let's be drawing on God's abounding grace for daily living. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.